0: The Story Walk, a podcast by storytellers for storytellers. And we hope that means you. Whether you identify as a storyteller with a capital S or if you just like to tell stories in your work, say as a teacher, librarian, counsellor or a community leader. And not forgetting if you are a parent or a grandparent looking to share stories and values with your family. And since the Story Walk is presented by FEAST, the Federation of Asian Storytellers, our focus is on sharing Asian stories, celebrating tellers from the Philippines in the East to Turkey in the West and countless storytelling communities that lie in between.
1: Happy birthday to Feast! Happy birthday to
0: Feast!
2: Happy birthday, happy birthday! Happy birthday to Feast!
0: Yes, today is Feast's fourth birthday, and what better way to celebrate than sharing stories from Feast's very own book, Splish, Splash, Splosh, the fourth book in the Feast. Anthology. Welcome to the Storywalk Podcast, the August episode, Season 2. And I am Parvati Ishwaran, your host for this episode. And joining me in this journey are my co-hosts, Meenu Shivaramakrishnan and Shubhadas.
1: In this episode, you will be listening to some stories narrated by the authors themselves. And the authors featured today are Lynn Kirk, Meher and Jumaini Arif, whose story is adapted and narrated by Devjani Baduri and Shelly Verma. And we have the ever-energetic and fun-loving Jeeva Raghunath
2: as the expert to give her inputs in our segment Ace Your Story. Who better than her to talk about body language? And last but not the least,
0: in our pantry segment, we will give you a sneak peek into the upcoming Feast Learning Festival.
1: But hey, the name Splish Splash Splosh sounds very interesting to me. I wonder why it is in this particular order and not in, for example, Splosh Splash Splish?
2: Well, it has an interesting explanation too.
1: It is called the
2: ablaut Reduplication, an unwritten rule of English that native speakers seem to know almost instinctively. I can confidently say that everyone follows and upholds this grammatical rule subconsciously. That includes me too. Often when people ask me about grammar or question why certain things are the way they are, all I can say is because saying it any other way just sounds wrong. So to explain the rule, if you have three words, then the vowel order has to be I-A-O. Wow, that is interesting.
0: I think if we look into our Indian languages, we may have many such words too. But that is for another day. Now let's move on to our program.
1: In our first segment, which as you all know is the MISO, where we bring to you stories that cater to the children's palate. Let's get drenched with a folk tale from China. The Fish Basket, narrated by Lynn Kirk. Lynn truly believes the power stories have and how they can change one's life.
3: The Fish Basket Goddess A story from China. Once upon a time, and a very long time ago it was, people from the four corners of the world travelled to the capital of Luoyang in ancient China. They traded in silk and tea, and scholars would come hoping to pass their imperial exams. Families would gather to watch acrobats, puppets and lion dancers, whilst eating sweet cakes and other delicious food. To get to the city gates, one had to cross the Yang River in small boats. Mothers, fathers, boys and girls, grandmothers and grandfathers and many other folk wanted to get to the city. The river was always calm. Its small waves lapping like green silk were very soothing to watch. Merchants would happily open up their lacquer food boxes to eat and drink there. In the river lived the dragon king. One day he woke up in a very bad mood. He saw many people crossing the river and because he was so grumpy he swished his tail creating huge waves in the river. This made the boats toss and turn and rock and sway so strongly that many people fell into the river. The river dragon king laughed seeing them splutter and struggle he thought it was great fun and lashed his tail from side to side making more waves Ha! <laughs> look at that dog <laughs> he can paddle but he's lost his bone <laughs> and that fat <laughs> that, that fat man <laughs> look he, he's bobbing up and down like a watermelon <laughs> The Dragon King enjoyed watching the people fall overboard and struggle to stay afloat, so he continued to flex his powerful tail. Crossing the river became difficult, even dangerous. One day a little girl was crying because both her pork bun and cat had fallen into the river. the goddess of mercy heard the girl crying from her mountain top home in the heavens and looked down and saw what was happening. Guan Yin wanted to help. The next day she went to the riverside and called out to the dragon king. He wasn't too pleased with being woken up as he was having a lovely dream of cramp and shrimp cakes. He was going to shout at whoever woke him up but when he finally came to the surface he was so struck by Guan Yin's beauty he couldn't say anything. My dear Dragon King, Guan Yin said very courteously, though the waves you are making look beautiful, they are making the people miserable. They cannot cross the river safely and they are frightened and upset. <laughs> I know, I know, he replied. That's why it makes me so happy to see them flounder in. I think it's great fun watching them. With that, he thrashed his tail so hard, he made waves as high as mountains. The fields were flooded, and some unfortunate boats were carried far away. They then became stranded amidst the ripening rice. Guan Yin could see that he wasn't going to stop, so she returned to her mountaintop to see what she could do. A few days later she came back down to earth, changed herself into a fishmonger and went to the city's marketplace. People gathered around her as she was not only new to town and very beautiful but also because she had the best fish of all. As her catch flopped about in a basket everyone could see that her fish were shiny and fresh and mmm so tempting. It wasn't long before she had sold all her fish, but the people still stood around her as though mesmerised by her beauty. As the townsfolk wouldn't leave, Guanyin said, Let's play a game. And pretending to think, she added, I know, let's take turns throwing coins into the basket. I will marry the man who throws in the most coins, and the coins that land outside the basket will help to pay for building a bridge across the river. A chance to marry such a beautiful young woman! So many were keen to play. How would she know who threw in the most money? Asked one man. Oh, I'm too poor. I'll never get a chance to marry her. Said another in ragged clothes. The basket is big, so this should be easy laughed a third all the young men eagerly opened their pouches and began tossing their coins yet no matter how well the young men took aim when they tossed their coins none landed in the basket not a single one it was as though the basket had eyes and were missing the basket on purpose after a year there was enough money to build the bridge and everybody could cross the river safely once more. Though the Dragon King swished his tail, the waves never troubled the bridge. He eventually stopped trying, and because he stopped, he soon lost the power to make waves, and never bothered the good people of Luoyang ever again.
2: Thank you, Lin. That was wonderful. I could visualize the entire story, and I am sure our little listeners could do it too. And now comes our delectable dim sum segment where Meher Gehi brings to you Spring of Youth, a folktale for adults from Japan. Meher is a certified professional storyteller, story educator and voice artist. Her storytelling comes alive through her expressive eyes and voice.
4: A long time ago, in a beautiful countryside, there lived a friendly old couple who was mostly joyous but sometimes sad because they did not have a child of their own. Yet for most of the time, they were happy and their hearts were full. Quan chopped wood in the nearby forest as he had done for so many years while his wife Hannah cooked as she had done for all the years of their marriage. Now they were old, their physical energy was low, but their spirits were high. Every evening, when they cuddled up cozily, they sang to themselves. This is the way we live our days. Some feel so bright, while some feel a haze. Oh, Life, oh life, come what me. We're happy together, and so we shall stay. One day, when Kwon was in the woods, Hannah was busy cooking his favorite dish, kimchi gai, and its aroma wafted through the neighborhood. And suddenly, she heard a loud thud from a neighbor's house. Even though the old man was known to be unwelcoming, cynical, and selfish, Hannah rushed to check if all was fine with him. However, when he opened his door, he howled. Oh, why don't you just mind your own business? Stop poking your nose into other people's lives. Go away. And he banged the door shut. Hannah narrated this incident to Quon, and said sadly, probably his loneliness has got the better of him. Or Maybe it's the way he was brought up. The next morning, Kwon as usual went to chop wood in the forest. Suddenly and most unexpectedly, he noticed a tiny red bird fluttering around him. He asked the little bird, Hey, who are you little bird? Have we met before? And this little bird just kept chirping and singing. (sighs) Kwon realized that he had never seen this unique little bird in all his long years. Curious, he followed it wherever it flew. Hey, wait! Wait, little bird! Who are you? Where are you taking me? Wait! Wait! Where are you going? and he realized that it was leading him deeper and deeper into the woods. But he couldn't hold himself back. He was captivated by this little red bird which suddenly disappeared. As if by magic, Quan felt exhausted and parched after the long walk. As he regained his breath, he heard a gurgling sound. He walked closer towards the sound and saw a small spring of water bubbling out from below a gigantic oak tree. And there, perched peacefully atop a root beside the stream, was the little red bird, as if she was home after a long day at work. Quan yearned to go back home too. But first, he wanted to quench his thirst. He bent low and splashed water all over his face. Then he cupped his palms and drank the cool, sweet water. (sighs) That's so refreshing, so energizing. (sighs) Mm. And before he could start walking home, he gave one final glance at the little bird. Still intrigued, it was getting darker. Kwon got up turned to walk towards home and was startled. Hannah! uh, What are you doing here, Hannah? How did you reach here? Hannah stood frozen, with her mouth and eyes wide open in shock. What's wrong with you, Hannah? Are you all right? Why do you look so stunned? Go on. Uh, I, I was worried when you didn't return home on time. I I followed your footsteps through the forest, and and found you. But, but what has happened to you, Quan? What do you mean, Hannah? I'm perfectly fine. Oh yes, and I'm so grateful for that. But, but Quan, you, you, you look much younger. Just like you did when. You were twenty-five. What? How is that possible, Hannah? You must be joking. (laughs) And with that he touched his face and... Indeed, he felt a much smoother and tighter skin. He removed his hat and felt his head. Instead of the smooth, bald head, he now ran his fingers through a mop of thick hair. Moreover, instead of feeling tired and listless, he now felt a renewed sense of energy. <laughs> Hannah Hannah I'm, Hannah I'm young again. Can you believe it? I'm young again, Hannah He rejoiced. Yes, Quan. You, you look exactly like you did when we got married. But but I wonder how mismatched I will look now when people see me standing beside you. <sighs> Don't say that, Hannah. You know you are forever beautiful to me. You know that. Exclaimed Quan. Hannah, drink some water from the spring. Go on. Drink now. Hannah knelt down and drank and drank deeply from the stream until, much to the joy, the water from the stream transformed Hannah, too, into a twenty-five-year-old young woman. Juan and Hannah returned home, their hands interlocked and alive with the same energy, the same love, exactly as when they were just married. Our wrinkles are gone, our hair's black once more. We look like we did many years before. Oh life, oh life, come what may we happy be together and so we shall stay their selfish cynical neighbor saw this happy couple as they came home but they looked so different so much younger at once he rushed up to them and asked how is this possible how have you to become young again like magic what did he do The couple did not owe him an answer. But as they were always kind, helpful and compassionate, they told him about the spring of youth. At once and without a word of thanks, the old neighbour excitedly set off, limping as fast as he could into the deep forest. Hey, hey, listen, it's very late and dark. Come back, come back, it may be dangerous. Quan and Hannah kept a lookout for their neighbor. Hours passed. They wondered if he was safe. He should have been back by now, Quan. Uh, I agree, Hannah. Let's go and see if he needs our help. They picked up their lamps and left once again for the forest, despite knowing it may be dangerous. This time they traveled with faster strides and renewed vigor. They covered the same distance in much lesser time and weren't even worn out. They looked around but couldn't find their neighbor anywhere. They called out for him but all they heard was a cold echo. They soon reached the spring and both were shocked by what they saw. Next to the spring lay the clothes of their neighbor. We are too late, Quan. Some wild beast seems to have devoured him. Kwon held her close. They stood there for a few minutes and turned to leave when they heard the sound of a. <coughs> a baby crying. They rushed to the coat lying by the bank of the stream. They bent down and saw beneath the layers of the coat. There lay a small infant. (sighs) A newborn! It seems like he drank a a lot, lot more water than he should have. Hannah picked him up. She looked into the baby's eyes. Then she looked into Quan's. They both knew what they wanted to do. They walked back with a child in their arms. A child whom they had decided to raise as their own. Now we are blessed with a child of our own to love and protect until he is grown.
0: A story with a drizzle of music in between was definitely a treat to our ears. Let's now jump into the puddles of knowledge in our Asia Story segment, where we have Meenu in conversation with Jeeva Raghunath sharing with us her expertise on the importance of body work in stories.
1: Welcome, Jeeva, to Story Walk Season 2, Episode 7. It is indeed a great pleasure to have you here as our expert in the Ace Your Stories segment and, of course, learn from you.
5: Thank you, Mino. Thank you. It's lovely to be a part of this podcast. Hello, everybody. Aray Varakum,
1: So, Jeeva, just to give you a heads up, over the last six episodes, We've had experts telling us about finding a story, mapping it, exploring the story multisensorially, choreographing a story, using voice, weaving musical elements and using props. So today, I would like to talk to you about body language in storytelling. So my first question to you, according to you, how important is body work in storytelling? be it oral or visual.
5: According to me, storytelling is not just words. It's a combination of words, movement, gestures and use of the whole body, I feel. I think it's very, very important. Of course, because a voice is the most prominent thing because it is the tool for language. But nevertheless, there are also non-verbal Uh, you know words and that according to me means using your whole body so body language is as important as your voice it could be oral or visual whatever it is you can feel in the voice you know how the body moves and in real life that's what we do right we can't be very plain and keep your face very plain or your body stiff while you're speaking normally. And that's what it is about storytelling. Storytelling is just a conversation between the teller and the listener and we use a story to do it. So to me, body language is very, very important.
1: Wow! Storytelling is a conversation between a teller and a listener. Mm. So true, Jeeva. Now, that prompts me to ask you, Does this body work depend on the listener we are telling to? Or, let's say, in other words, vary with the type of audience?
5: Yes, indeed. It depends on the audience. Because as we age, we are exposed to different kinds of body works. Right? We see so many people. It could be people. It could be animals, birds. It could even be trees and plants. Each one has its own language. But as a child... They are not exposed. They so may not be able to understand. So that's what we need to do. So the use of body has to coincide with the voice that you use to convey to the listener what you are trying to care. So it's a whole thing. It is like adding all the ingredients in your cooking. It could be a sambar or it could be a cake. It's just like that. So definitely what you serve for the little one would be very different what you serve for an older person. It could be the same story, but then there are lots of little gimmicks, there are lots of little things, you know, like little nuances, which can be noticed by the older person than the younger person who just brushes it off or goes unnoticed. So definitely, according to me, it is different for any age group. And not only that. It is also according to the people you address. For instance, when I'm in India, Indians can understand the Indian body language. But when I go overseas, I've got to tell them, this is how we move our hands, this is how we speak, because culturally, they could mean differently in different cultures. So I make it a point to explain, well, this is how we say, huh... Uh, oh, oh, adengkappa, so it varies, which they may not understand. So, it, is, it also depends on whom you're addressing, the background of your audience. It'll be very helpful, so they enjoy it. Once you tell them, they're like amused. Oh, really, is that how? Because all said and done, Asians are, you know, a lot more animated, I would say, in my experience, than the West. So it's very different. So I think you need to pay attention to that also.
1: Well said, Jeeva. And I totally agree to the cultural aspect because I have myself experienced that when I was working with a non-Indian storyteller. She did not quite understand the typical Indian nod, you know, where we tilt our head from left to right in quick motions to say, yes, I agree. And... It was quite amusing for her until she finally understood it. (laughs) So, coming to my next question. So, now we know that type and culture of audience influences the body language. But is that all, Jiva? What about the story itself? I mean, with respect to the connect that the teller has, the emotions, etc.? Could you please throw some light on that as well?
5: Mm. Dayan Falat, my very dear friend, and I would say manasika Guru, meaning a mentor who kind of inspired me a lot. And I'm scared to say she's a um, mentee because I have to live up to her expectations. But anyway, she proudly talks, goes about saying she's mentored me, which I'm very grateful to. She told me that Shiva storytelling is an emotional engagement or an emotional uh, happening. So keep that in mind. So to me, emotions are very, very important. Then with my experience, what I realized was if you get the emotions right, your face will follow it, obviously your facial expressions and so on. And following that would be your hand gestures and your body language for which you have to give the true emotions, not the emotion when like, for instance, you might have a bad day But that's your mood, that's your bad mood, you're angry, that is your personal emotion. But I'm talking about the emotion in the story, the emotion that the story demands. So when you have that, all these work together and it is so easy. You don't have to be very conscious and say that I'm angry so I have to look like this, I have to keep my fist like this, no. That is your pretending to have an emotion. But I'm saying... Have it, feel the emotion yourself, and automatically, rest will fall in place. Just feel the
1: emotions and don't pretend, rightly said Jeeva. Now it all makes perfect sense. Like you said at the beginning that uh, storytelling is a conversation. And now when we truly feel the emotions while telling, it actually makes the conversation so authentic. And our body work is going to naturally flow as well. Mm. This is such an important thing. And all of us as storytellers, I think, must definitely remember and try to follow that. And this brings us to my last question to you, Jeeva. Could you please use a small story and tell us how you do your body work to bring out the different emotions.
5: Mm. For instance, in a story when I have a child and a mother, it's very different. A simple story like uh, take a little walk bear, which I learned from Margaret Reed Macdonald. Uh, it's very different. For instance, the little baby bear goes about saying, mama, uh, uh, mama, mama. She wants to plead. So obviously there's a pleading voice and mama goes, yeah, what do you want, baby? Why are you saying mama, mama, mama? What is it that you want? And that's how her voice goes. And obviously, when you listen, you know the kind of face, the kind of body the child would have and also the way the mother would. I mean, the picture that I get, not because I'm saying, I, I feel that the baby is standing down below and she's looking at the mother on top and saying, Baba, Baba, Baba. And the mother's looking down and saying, Hey, what? What do you want? So you see, at once, you're able to visual through the voice, through the emotion, And of course, this baby is being very happy. So he says, Mama, Mama, Mama. And the mother says, Whoa, what do you want? So she's being very serious because obviously she's busy at work. And later on, the child gets, uh, the baby bear gets permission to go for a walk. And, you know, she pleads. She's saying, Mama, can I go for a walk? And Mama said, Oh, yeah. You can go for a walk, but be careful, baby. See that you don't go near the bees. I know you like honey, but don't go near the bees for they're going to sting you. Got it? And the baby bear says, Yeah, Mama, I should remember it. And immediately the voice comes back saying that, Oh, there's happiness, but there's also a little bit of caution. And a child goes happily singing, Take a little walk, bear walk, bear walk, bear. Take a little walk, bear walk, bear walk. And goes on and on, very, very happy notion. But of course, the baby that sees the honey on the branch, the honeycomb and the honey dripping, he goes, Oh. <laughs> I love it. No, no, no. And he goes, take a little lick, bear, lick, bear, lick, bear that was it. The bees start buzzing and go. Rrrrry. They seem all over, and he goes. Ah! And he comes back very fast, where, of course, you repeat the whole story in a very, very fast motion. Take a little walk, by, walk, walk, It goes very fast, goes woman and says, Baba, the beast, hug me. And then you know the emotion, you know the speed at which the child comes running and cries. And Mama goes, oh, don't worry, my child. And she goes, take a little hug, bear, hug, bear, hug bear, take a little hug, bear, hug, bear, hug. And you get all the audience to hug each other, particularly children. And it's a beautiful experience. So you see, it's just the emotions, the capturing of emotions. As I'm talking, visuals have to happen. It's the visuals that help the listener to remember the story. The emotion leads, the voice, the expression, the hand gestures, the body language which in turn gives you visuals. And these visuals have colors and shapes because for memory, you need this. And that's when the story becomes so memorable that the listener carries with him or her this experience for a very, very long time.
1: Wow, that was amazing. Thank you so much, Jeeva. You've shared such important points and and I'm sure all our listeners and storytellers will agree when I say that this has indeed been so insightful. Thanks again for your time and valuable inputs.
5: Thank you, Meenu. I would like to thank Feast for giving me this opportunity. Goodbye, Nandri, Panakka.
2: You're absolutely right, Meenu. This was indeed a very informative segment as always. Let us now take a dive into the details about the Feast Learning Festival in our next segment in the pantry.
0: Have both of you blocked your calendars from the 16th
2: to the 25th of September?
1: Of course. How could we not?
2: Why don't we share the lineup with our listeners so that they too could block their calendars? Feast is presenting the Learning Festival in the online format
0: from 16th to 25th of September. The First one in the lineup is Japan, Folklore and Nature. A talk by Dr. Daniela Kato on interweaving storytelling, scholarship and personal reflection and exploring ways of reconnecting to nature using Japanese folk tales. On Saturday the 17th of September, Noor Azar Ishak brings to you Lipur Lara which will give you a glimpse into the treasures of folklore, fairy tales, fables
1: and more. From the land of Malaysia. On day three, we have an interesting workshop on crafting and telling difficult stories by Laura Packer. This workshop will equip you to shape your difficult stories and enable you to tell them safely. Folk tales, fairy tales and social justice. A workshop by Sheila Arnold. On 20th of September, one will learn to combine hopes and cultural thoughts to address social justice issues like suicide, PTSD, immigration, etc., harnessing the power of stories as vehicles for awareness and change. Day 5
2: will focus on lights and shadows. In this 45-minute program, you will get a glance of an age-old tradition of shadow puppetry with a performance by award-winning shadow puppeteer Mr. Muthu Chandran from Tamil Nadu, India. He will also be sharing his in-depth knowledge of the art with the participants. Alongside him is the feast member C. Mangalam Sentil, who will share her journey and experiences of doing shadow puppetry. Crocodile Turtle Snails Indonesian Folk Tales as Resources to Respect and Love the Earth, a talk by Dr. Murti Bunanta, On September 22nd, we'll encourage young generations to actively participate in keeping the traditions alive and using contemporary storytelling as performance art to flourish. This talk will also enlighten us on how activists of conservation and ecotourism programs in Indonesia use folktales to attract visitors to their respective places. On day 7,
0: we have a comprehensive workshop titled Silver Connect – The Art of Telling Stories to Seniors that will help you explore theatre activities and person-centric art facilitation, enabling you to connect with older adults. This workshop is facilitated by Lavanya Prasad and Wong Sui Young. We now have a soundbite by David Novak on a workshop about massaging the story happening on the 24th of September, where he presents his approach to process and performance for storytellers.
6: Okay, so exercising the listener. Think about what it means when we ask someone to pay attention, right? We're asking them to pay us something, and we're offering them something in exchange for that attention. We're offering the experience of the story. So to pay attention requires effort and energy. It can be exhausting. So our listeners' attention needs to be rewarded and refreshed by the dynamics of the story that we're telling them. The use of sound, silence, motion, stillness, surprise, and revelation. All of these help to restore the listeners' energy, interest, and attention. How then can we tell our story in such a way that we can refresh and energize our listeners.
1: Nancy Wong and Robert Kikuchi-Ingoho of EthnoTech will bring to you a workshop on Day 9 titled Moving Stories, Your Face, Body, and Voice Tell the Tales, which explores the creativity between words and action using the language of the body, energy dynamics, and theatrical technique. What a spread! So listeners, do visit
2: our website wwwfeast to register yourself and make the most of the learning festival. Phew! That was some information. And now in our fortune cookie segment, we are going to serve you a lip-smacking dessert, a bilingual story in Bengali and English.
0: This Malay folktale, An Unfortunate Lebai, is authored by Jumaini Arif and adapted by Shelley Verma and Devjani Bhaduri to suit the Bengal locale with due permission from the author. Jumaini performs as Naik Salampit, the folktale storyteller, a unique, highly energetic character who is witty and filled with lampung charm. Devjani Bhaduri loves retelling folk tales, mythological accounts, and authored classics, lacing them with contemporary thread and adding a hint of humor. Shelly Varma believes in stories that inspire social change, give voice to the unheard, and make the unseen noticed.
7: At the confluence of three rivers stands the mighty, vast Sundabans tract of West Bengal lined with deep, dense riverine mangrove forests. Now, the villages in this region, they depend on the forest and the rivers for their livelihood and travel. And as is the custom, thankful for the nature's bounty, they hold feasts to share their blessings with everyone else. Now, this story is from a long time ago and is about one Ramu Pandit. Yes, dear listeners, the pot-bellied, gold mottled Ramu Pandit was very lucky. You see, being the eldest in the entire region, he used to be invited by everyone to every feast, big or small. Oh, life was good until one morning.
8: Oh, Uh,
7: from Hindul Ganja. Pranam, Pandit Mushai. Pandit Mushai, by your blessings, my men got a huge catch of prawn seedlings last season. And now they have hatched into huge tiger prawns. Oh, God is kind, huge prophet. Pandit Mashai, tomorrow there is a feast and you have to come at noon for lunch.
8: (laughs) Nishjoy, Nishjoy, sure, sure. Ah, tomorrow lunch, (laughs) Hindulganch. Eh, ah, Chot! Uh, from Shojnikali Nekhali, hmmm? Ah, Parnit Moshai, Pernamoy! Ah, our land diver khooob huge production diyeche Teh kalke, shambai ke khawar chi Apna kaya sirave, haa? Lunche, ahmar bari Shoj Nekhali Ah, bar boy and hater, bhetkit paturi Ar kucho macho tog mreche toh! Hehehehe, sure, sure! Tomorrow, lunch. Tomorrow, buddy, shows snake khali.
7: Wow, another invite for lunch tomorrow. Well, who could say no to betki fish and yummy curry? Mm, Ramu Pandit was so excited. me first,
8: chingdi machid malai curry. Pitki, um, Pathuri, Kucha Bacher Top, Shabishi Bat. Ah, <coughs> uh-huh. uh-huh.
7: but it's Bashai. Oh, but it's Bashai. Yes, dear listeners, it was Paul too. From Bashanti village, who had come to invite Ramu Pandit for his son's rice ceremony, to invite him to gorge on tender mutton curry. Ramu Pandit was super excited. Three feasts for tomorrow. Oh, he could hardly sleep at night. Next day, he woke up, took a shower, donned a fresh dhoti, and he was about to set out when his wife called out to him for lunch. (laughs) tomorrow today's taste is
8: cooking. I'm Today, have three delicious
7: lunch date. Hmm, <laughs> <wings. clears throat Chase> Three fees at the same time? Hmm? How do you think you're going to be in three places at the same time? But Ramu Pandit, was too excited to pay any attention to his wife's words. And so he set out for his lunch date and he began to row his boat. But just then, the idea, the confusion struck him. Where was he going to go first? Hindol Ganj, upstream. Shaujne downstream. And Bhashunti, even further downstream are what a big problem first bashut
8: no no bashut te hindul ganche je finish no, no 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 first hindul ganchi ham maru
7: dear listeners, how much could he row against the current of the river, and that too on a hungry stomach? Halfway, he began to gasp for breath. Ayya, Madhu, hodibowde,
8: How difficult, How difficult, upriver how difficult. No, 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 no. First Bashwanti, town. Ayya, Madhu,
7: well, going downstream to Bashunti village was way much easier. And sure enough, as he reached the ghat, he saw Poltu sitting outside on the front porch of his cottage with three huge pots in front of him. <laughs> Ami, Ram Pundit,
8: Eshakachiko, Tumont, bless Katti. Huh? Three parts? Mutton, Katlakalia, Rice, eh? Hare Pundit Mosha, Pendam Hoi. Updi at too late could have fell in. to shop empty pots kissed elo yellow, chilagalo. Eh? Empty pots No button. No, Katla. No, 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 no. upriver Hindulganch. Heya
7: Well, with Tiger pront prancing in his head, Ramu Pandit finally got upriver to Hindolganj. He anchored his boat near the ghat. But everything was so quiet. He looked around and just then he saw Bablu carrying this huge pot with lid on, and the way he was carrying it seemed heavy. Bablu! Oh, Bablu! Bablu,
8: this pot is heavy. I am going to go Hari the front. I am going Hat too late. Kestra hello, chulegalo. Co no prawns, de oh. to prawns head shell No prawn. Shows Nickelly, Shows Nickelly. He a muddowing, he a chill, he a
7: the vision of bhet ki fish swimming in his head finally gave him enough energy to go all the way downstream to Shajnekhali. But when he reached there, what did he see? He saw that the host was washing his pots and vessels by the side of the river. Oh no! <laughs> <laughs>
8: Ami Ramu Pundit go! Ami Ramu Pundit. Oh! Bauditma Shah, but it's late, Four hours late. Are now i to arrange an extra piece orange-coded chilla. Shabh over. Over. Oh,
7: Ramu Pandit was so disappointed. He was so hungry. He had nowhere to go but home. With a heavy heart, he rode his way back home. And when he got there, it was already evening and he was completely starving. He straight away tiptoed into the kitchen and he began to scour for some leftover food. Anything, anything. And just then... Tarum, turum, turum, turum,
8: teeth, chore. Ari, a big teeth, no, chore, no, yumby, humby, humby, one, then, no, ramu, pondi. Eh? What's Ah, what the tasteless cooking, eh? You get this huh? There three delicious lunch, tips Long story kidney can coo
7: hungry Lakshmi, sweet Lakshmi, she served him a simple meal of Dal Alu Path, just like any other day. And Ramo Pandit, he did not care, he did not complain. It was just what he needed. And after finishing his meal, you know what? He even said A big Thank you. Wow. What a delicious dessert to this feast
1: today. Listening to Bengali was as sweet as having the Rosh itself. Delightful telling indeed.
0: And with this, we come to the end of episode 7 of Storywalk Season 2. I hope you enjoyed it as much as we enjoyed bringing this together for you. Do write to us at storywalkgmail.com at to let us know your thoughts on this episode. Storywalk is available on iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and other leading podcast platforms. Subscribe to the Story Walk and share it with your friends and family too. And don't forget to follow Feast on Facebook and Instagram for the latest news and upcoming programs. This is Parvati Ishwaran and on behalf of my co-hosts and co-producers for this episode, Menu Shivaramakrishnan and Shubhadhas, thank you for listening in.